pulled me right out of getting out of work. I didn't actually have coffee this morning, so I'm a little tired, but I'm, I'm here to be awake now and have a conversation with you. How you doing? I haven't eaten for an entire week. <laughs> That's right, you're, uh, you're dieting now. I'm half the person I used to be. If only. If only. Uh, yeah, I'm like... I'm like 10 pounds off doing this keto, so I got the keto flu going. I'm used to having every other kind of flu on the podcast, so I thought I'd try this I one. Know. Yeah, uh, you gotta start checking them off. Uh, you gotta bring swine flu back eventually for this. But yeah, keto is uh, keto. How do you say it again? Keto? Are you sure? I, I don't trust your pronunciation of things anymore, so uh, I'll, I'll go with you on this one, just because I don't know better. But It's probably kato flu. We should go with that. The, <laughs> I've got the kato. Well, well, how is the the diet itself? Good. I I know I'm like far into ketosis or catosis now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I feel it in my body that I'm I'm sick and lethargic. But I, I thought it was an interesting experiment for the podcast. You could all hear me sounding really tired and like I don't want to be here, which is how I want to be. <laughs> I just always assume you don't want to be here. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so I mean. It just works out. Um, it, it's true. Okay. I don't like movies, and I don't like podcasts. So. <laughs> it, it's good to hear that the, the diet is working well for you. Ten pounds is uh, significant. Yeah, in uh, five for, days, for that's, yeah. that's fairly good. Yeah. Um, I don't know about myself, though. Is it something you'd recommend for, for someone like me who's maybe just, I don't know, 20 pounds maybe overweight? I'm not I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm still fairly skinny-ish uh from my days as a boy my metabolism is is pretty excellent it's just mostly like a lot of tummy my days as a boy is such a funny thing to say <laughs> back in my days as a boy <laughs> when i had the high metabolism <laughs> um i no i wouldn't recommend it to anyone it's awful uh, I only do it if you have to honestly there are probably other I, diets that are less intense that with 20 pounds you could do right it's uh Dieting in general is such a hard thing to do because sacrificing food seems like self-torture in many ways. We just did a whole podcast on all of the glorious different foods you can have for breakfast. and uh, <laughs> Thank God that's not this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your options would be severely limited for that, wouldn't it? No, I feel, I feel happier. You realize what you put in is, you know, you're... You're feeling the feelings of the food, too. You, you're overindulging all the time. It's going to feel bad eventually, so... Uh, a little better, but uh, but you realize you eat for all the wrong reasons anyway, so I uh, have to change a lot of life skills. G generally, yeah, I, I agree with that. Sometimes, uh, I say a lot of times, actually, all of us kind of eat out of out of boredom. Yeah. It tends to be the case, or like emotionally eat for whatever reason. Or just eat because I really like all kinds of food. and like Yeah. <laughs> I like overindulging it, and it's a bad habit, so i uh, got to eat normally now. Uh, oh, no. You know, I've, I've actually uh, forced myself not to learn how to cook better because then I would just be eating all the time. So if all of the food that I make uh, tastes bad, then I won't eat as much of it. I can't. So that's that's my diet. I can't blame my wife for being an excellent cook, but it hasn't helped. <laughs> <So> <laughs> at least she's, she's kick-started me on this diet and given me all the keto drops and everything. So she's a big help with losing it that's too. good yeah well, that's the other big thing with dieting is that you need support of others just kind of like with kicking anything i imagine yeah, I think as, so. as well i think of it it's, i think of it just like my addiction like you're saying with kicking anything yeah. it's the same yeah so this is this is just one one more thing to kick you've already done the harder one you know so it should be no sweat for you 
It's like sitting next to someone with a Jack and Coke when I look over and see Ezra with her macaroni and cheese every night. Because <laughs> she needs more fat. She was, you know, she was born like four pounds and is still kind of runny, you know, so we need to add on the fat there. And I'm trying to mm-hmm. cut out all fat, so uh, it's very compromised when I see her dishes, but haven't cheated That's- it yet. This is the thing you've you always told me. I, I'm not surprised at all that she may be a little underweight because all she eats is vegetables, <laughs> you say. She doesn't like sweets or candies or yeah. ice cream or anything. In fact, other than like her affinity for mac and cheese, and, <laughs> and my wife keep makes, keeps making her like these glorious uh, carb-filled dishes. Like she had pasta last night. And, uh, it's torture. But uh, uh, glad to be on a, a writer path for me, and I feel better doing this. Yeah. Maybe we'll check in again another couple of weeks and yeah. make sure you're you're still on that same diet and doing well. Maybe we'll check in like at the end of this run. Let's check then. So it's like a forty-five day diet or thirty days. So whenever I decide to stop, we'll we'll check in. All right. Yeah, I like that idea. Um. So, uh, other than the uh, keto flu, we also had the keto flu with the new Criterion Month. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, always like we we try not to talk about Criterion. I think a lot, Never. Of, very rarely, very rarely do we bring them up or highlight. But uh, you know, news is a little slow, so uh, I just thought it might be nice to talk a little bit about the the sale that's going on monthly or uh, yearly sale, uh, bi yearly I guess for Barnes and Noble, and then you got another bi yearly sale from Criterion themselves. So our our wallets are always empty because there's so many great movies to buy and, and check out and. Uh, or I know, not uh, even bi-yearly. I think you mean like twice a year, like November and yeah. July, right? Not like well, every other year. No, okay. but, but that's what bi-yearly can mean. It can it can be either. Okay. It's a weird word like yeah. that. Our, our language is terrible. It is. In case you didn't know. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how I'm partaking in this sale. I mean, a lot of things are down right now, and I'm spending money on vegetables and shit now, so we'll see. <laughs> you're always apprehensive. I know you're not an avid... Uh, collector or or obsessive like i am at least and i, I get my I favorites I, yeah, yeah yeah you get stuff uh like well i think you last got the blue velvet one right because yeah you're you, you gotta have all the lynch stuff and i'm sure you're gonna get the elephant man one when that releases right yeah yeah i definitely will i have a racer head and blue velvet and mulholland drive and yeah i got the lynches i give all, i get all my nines and tens i i get the movies i love the most uh eventually i'll get all of them but uh not yet is there is there any you're thinking about this time? Even even just considering, pondering, maybe dreaming about if you had the money. I'll probably get Doctor Strange Love just because that's so packed with stuff. And um, and you've sold me on Ace in the Hole, but I'm interested in this leave too. So looking around yeah. that, but uh, th- those are both films we should have covered by now. Probably <laughs> we probably should. Maybe we could do one soon. <laughs> I'm always like like w- when you asked me to pitch ones for this. Like I thought about like two three or maybe five billy wilder films but i've got a, a i got straight away sometimes because it's like it's just so easy for me to indulge and, and sometimes i'll be sitting around and be like man what films do i want to watch and like all i can think of is like five billy wilder films but like fuck i need to see something else i think you rewatch one for the 20th time since i known you this week <laughs> yeah i did watch uh i rewatched uh one two three again which was a, a later period one a, a screwball uh cold war comedy with James Cagney. Is that on Criterion? No, okay. no, I own that one. I bought it during a, a Kino Lorber sale. <laughs> so I've thrown you way off course. Uh, what are you looking to buy in the sale? 
Uh, I'm looking to do something I haven't done, actually, in any of these sales, and I'm going to spend a lot of money on movies I haven't seen oh, yet. Oh, shit. That's dangerous. Yeah. Doing some blind buys. It's uh, an well, expensive well, one... blind when you get to Criterion, by the way. I, I've done it, and, you know, every time it's been worth it with their boxes and their supplements. I'm I'm confident. One of them is a big box set. It's going to be the, the Dietrich and Sternberg in Hollywood set. Okay. Uh, uh, it was not. It wasn't last month. I think the one before that. I watched their first collaboration that really, you know, uh, lit up the world, which was uh, D- the Blue Angel, and that was just phenomenal. So I'm I'm all, I'm all in on that. I already love Dietrich from other films, you know, and I've talked about it here before, including several Billy Wilder films. <laughs> you know, I so, I really want do the right thing, but I'm guessing that's highest demand of everything in the collection right now. So. Maybe, but uh, I think you should be able to make, manage to get it. I think, unlike some others, I probably have those, you know, in, in considerable uh, amounts. Uh, but that I have been seeing that, like, come and see. Nobody can get come and see right now. <laughs> yeah. it's... And it just came out, but it was long demanded, so that makes sense. Yeah. Do the Right Thing has been out since at least, I think, the last sale, so... I just think you know... socially, that's... They probably stocked it pretty well, knowing that's the hot item right now, but... I imagine so. And the other big one I plan on getting is that it's, I think, yeah, it's tomorrow they're they're releasing The Lady Eve, uh, their Blu-ray upgrade of the Preston Sturgis film. We talked about him last week, too. I guess my last big pickup was the, the Romer box set, which is incredible and has amazing essays in there. Um, so I'd recommend that to everyone. I mean, getting that for like 30 or 40 bucks is the best value of all the movies I have, honestly, if you could do that. Yeah, they. I mean, they've got incredible box sets in general. They just released the uh, Anya Varda box set, uh, I believe. Oh. They also have the Bruce Lee box set that just came out this t- today as well. I mean, and they have, uh, of course, uh, Bergman, the whole Bergman collection. I've always needed to get to Haxon, so uh, if I see that, I'm I'm tempted to combine that with Doctor Strange Love or do the right thing too. Those be too good. You just need, I think, like. Whatever you do, you just need to get like a couple so you can get that free shipping yeah. from Barnes and Nobles because it's not worth going out. I would I would not recommend going to the Barnes and Noble to get them. No, I worked in one long enough, and I don't I don't like going back anyway. Since they <laughs> closed all the ones down by me, they closed the downtown Seattle and our West Seattle ones. So, uh, also, it's a long drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just not worth it. Even for me, like where I could traverse into Portland and buy swaths of movies for no no tax i wouldn't have to pay sales tax on them it's oh, not yeah. worth it um, i mean i might risk it for that i already have the keto oh well, i i have i did before i just I, i'm not gonna do it for coronavirus um, that's not worth it as a, dying for criterion <laughs> is not on my checklist as always i recommend our uh, our rare criterion article um what did i end up calling that the the overlook criterions uh, yes that's full of and sweet boxes and underappreciated films. So. Pro- probably needs to be updated with so many new releases, of course. But maybe you we'll know. do a second one, fifty new ones. Yeah, next year. Fifty. Yeah, good good idea. We'll do it for Everyone uh, November. Loves clickbait. Yeah, <laughs> we're all about the clickbait here. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, uh, we do have new movies to talk about, though, right? We have some, some. So we have a lot, but I didn't get to a lot. The other thing is that I have to double my podcast today so i'm going on the game show um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so i've half prepared video games half prepared this um are you gonna cross the wires here a little bit am i gonna start hearing about like sonic the hedgehog again <laughs> so let's talk about sonic the hedgehog dating lore 
Uh, who are you <laughs> shipping today? <laughs> I'm a big Amy fan. Amy and Big the Cat, I think, is my ship. I didn't mean to start a tangent. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to save that for Pablo's <laughs> show. <laughs> Uh, so there's a very gamey movie out now called uh, Palm Springs, Another Groundhog Day. Right, of course. Is that why you have a groundhog as your background now? That's just permanent now. But yeah, yeah that's, that's also <laughs> the reason. <laughs> I like that's it. what I thought of instantly. I like that he's like, peeking out over my shoulder from the Jeep. And... It could have been a shot from Groundhog Day. It just reminded me of like him with fill in the truck it's the one from the groundhog day commercial they did at the super bowl last year for jeep i think i think that's where he's from <laughs> but i think it might be the Tony phil for now who knows uh why are we on this <laughs> uh because Palm you Springs? can't stop obsessing over groundhog day yeah, that's right this is my eighth or ninth groundhog day review for the website um, uh that'll be coming I, up the next week you know you know the first time we joked about Groundhog Day as a genre, I didn't realize it was going to actually be like a legitimate thing that co- came up fairly often. Like, I, <laughs> apparently, there are just a ton of Groundhog Day films, which makes me wonder how many more there already have been. Like, these are yeah. just the ones that are coming out. I think it's like a last two years thing because you'll see in my Palm Springs review, I list all the ones I've reviewed, and and I have a I have a genre. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I like this one a lot. Do you like Andy Samberg? I think he's usually pretty funny. Yeah, uh, he's probably the best satirist uh, working currently. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like, like I'm trying to think of any others right now, and it's not like a, he's not the best of the best by any means, but, you know, he's very good, and I, I liked all the Lonely Island stuff and whatnot. I think this feels like a Lonely Island Groundhog Day, so it's basically the same premise, but it starts already within the loop, so really close to Groundhog. It doesn't get into a lot of the logic systems. It just accepts them on faith. Um, and I think uh, Andy Samberg's really good, and it's very funny. Um, the loops are interesting. Uh, it's a little weird because it ends up being like a... Um, it ends up emphasizing monogamous relationships, which is strange. Uh, uh, that That's not what you do in modern rom-coms usually. They don't usually end up, you know, happily uh, supporting the the case for you know monogamous straight relationships at the end um they usually end pretty darkly lately so it is a nice rom-com and i think one of the better ones of the last few years that's the other thing you you keep bringing me these recent romantic comedies <laughs> and we had a discussion about how like the the rom-com or modern comedy is it's also kind of dead but yeah. also how we're getting a lot of these so it's it's interesting to hear about them that they're still out there but this, this so, one's pretty good you say this one restores my faith it's incredibly fun uh, i think uh, i'm trying to remember the girl's name uh i'll get it wrong christine miliotti uh she's fantastic she's been in some other prestige films but uh and side roles uh, uh, she really holds her own against sandberg and uh, what i like most about this groundhog day loop is that uh they're both in the loop together so uh them and uh jk simmons character roy they're all stuck in the loop together, so they have awareness of what's happening. I mean, I just love J.K. Simmons and everything. Yeah, he's he's great and really fun to play off Sandberg, too, as a straight guy. So, uh, as a uh, more straight man. But uh, it's more funny than uh, some recent attempts. And uh, I'd put it up there with a happy death day as uh, something I'll keep... Uh, it'll keep reoccurring in my home. I asked my wife right after if we could start it again. Very serious of me, but <laughs> she didn't take it very seriously. 
And it seems like the kind of thing you would do as well, just endless loop of endless loop movies. I've done it with Groundhog Day and Happy Death Day, but not this one yet. I, I know it's in my future, and I feel like this one will keep growing, too. Like, uh, you miss things about the loops that kind of bleed into each other and set other things up. So I think these are the most rewatchable movies for me. Um, I'm very happy to continue being that guy on the website, so I'm going to keep that going. <laughs> It's it's good to find your niche and just stick with it. That's true. Um, then I don't have to think very hard about finding new movies. They just come to me this way. <laughs> um, other than that, uh, what was the other movie? <laughs> it must be important. You you watched? Uh, I got to scroll up through our discussions to find breakdown now. Bloody, I think I have to remember. Bloody nose, empty pockets was the other one. Right, right, right. I even. Went over your review of that one. A new film from the Ross brothers who make like uh, faux documentaries, which seem like they're going to be real, but they create spaces. They hired actors. Um, so it is cinema verite, but uh, it, it implies that it's real. Yeah, that was the, the interesting thing because I asked you about it kind of in your review. Your review was interestingly ambiguous about the nature of it, and it sounds like that's supposed to be reflective of the film itself, that it is both documentary-like and also not. <laughs> I appreciated when it went up this morning. Our first comment was like, hmm, I'm very interested in this, but I'm also depressed after reading your review. I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> that's the best feedback you could get. Oh, because in, in the review, you stated that it's like, just like 2016 sets, just pre- Trump presidency is like is that very explicit? He's a yeah. It's it's kind of on the TVs and kind of in the nature of it. Uh, it's briefly like shown on the TV, right? Like a TV sets are showing like the bullshit game shows that uh, people watch in the bars, you know, like Jeopardy and um, Floor is Lava. Yeah, Floor is Lava, possibly. <laughs> that should be in all the bars right now. Um, I haven't been in a bar since around that time, so it's weird for me because literally, like my sobriety date is Trump's election, so there's like a surreal idea of of the bar ending then for me because it has um yeah i i it's hard also as a recovering addict to watch this movie there's so much alcohol and it's so boozy um and las vegas in general uh full of sin and temptation anyway um it's actually a real bar in new orleans it's not called the roaring 20s like the film but uh uh there is a bar in new orleans and They've made other New Orleans films that have the same premise. That's like wandering around the streets at night and looking at like the party scene there, and uh, looks like a documentary, but isn't. Mm hmm. I, I think that idea that persisted. I, I don't know. I guess just to go back to the Trump thing, I don't want to dwell on him mm -hmm. for too long because I hate it. But yeah, uh, I wouldn't that, say that's... it's implicit in the movie. I I'd say that's that's the time, but it doesn't matter. Well, it's just an interesting thing that because it comes up and I and I see this and I and I wince in lots of recent films. Uh, even I think I mentioned this back on the the Five Bloods podcast is that seeing footage of Trump in modern movies ag aggravates me because I just I hate being reminded that it's real. I feel <laughs> that, like, that it's yeah. I know. I I wish it were just in movies, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know, it's it's just like seeing this reflection of it in this historical, like, and just kind of realizing that this is a historical period that's going to be referenced to and is, like, relevant and going on in the background of, you know, stories to come, it's it's frustrating, and I wonder if people felt the same about past yeah. horrific presidencies, and, like, like particularly, because you think about how, like, prevalent someone like Nixon is in, you know, films, yeah. you know, and he he's a... 
you know, a monster of his own. I mean, even today we'll be looking at, like, a block of, of politics that's very pervasive in, like, Hollywood films and how that's reflected, right? Like, I, it, you can't avoid it at some level, but I feel like the film doesn't show Trump. I feel like there might be a small conversation at the bar and maybe a date given. That's about it. It just happens. I don't know. For some reason, it always sticks out to me. Like, yeah. I can't stop thinking about, like, despite how it, it's a very small part in the beginning of Burning... Uh, the the Korean film from oh that's right back. yeah there's a clip like, like like he's just on TV for like a, a small moment to give like a cultural context to what's going on like like for, it's like probably two seconds at the beginning of the film but it irked me it it, it, it like shocked me and irked me and I'm just like ah I hate it <laughs> I'm a big Dong fan now so we'll have to get to some Dong eventually uh, we'll have a big fat Dong podcast one day. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to sidetrack from uh, this film. Yeah, um, this film is okay. It's interesting, at least, but I don't know. As an addict, maybe not good for me to watch. Um, right, well, yeah, you definitely, you know, your your history certainly uh, colors the experience very differently on a, on a personal take. I, I did yeah. watch their thing with David Byrne, which was interesting. I don't know if you know what Color Guard competitions are. Uh, I, I know. I went to a, uh, uh, you know... A, a military town school and you know we had a very very active rotc program so i know what color guard is <laughs> they they get all these artists together and david burden's one of them i can't remember many of the others which may say something uh ira glass is a cool thing where he talks over them doing the color guard about their past and uh the girl's father had died and it's like a tribute and song to him so uh, that's another cool documentary the ross brothers did but uh, i also realized i don't like watching color guard and if i did they cut away mid-performance every time and go interview people and go to other more creative clips. So just show the performance. It's That's what you want from a concert film, I think. Yeah, just, well, I mean, I guess at that point, if you want a concert film with David Byrne, then just watch Stop Making Sense for the 50th time. Do that also. It feels like it's trying to be like a documentary Stop Making Sense about Color Guard, but it doesn't achieve that, I don't think. All right, uh, so Calvin, now that we've talked about what's new, can we, can we move on to this uh, film we picked for this week? I'm very excited to talk about this one. Uh, you let me pick a film finally after several weeks of uh, putting me under your uh, Italian interests. Two, two Italian <laughs> films in a row we did. That's fantastic. Um, and we might be expanding more of our uh, international interests eventually. Um, but, but we need to get back to good old America. <laughs> America, 1950s nostalgia, Americana. Um, I know you've waited patiently for my thoughts, and I do have yeah. them. I do have them. Yeah, I've uh, I've sat with them and I've mulled them over until I could come to the only possible conclusion: defund the patriarchy. <laughs> I, I'm just I I realized when I was rewatching the film last night, like it got towards the end, and I said, "Oh God." The film has an extended courtroom sequence at the end. Calvin's going to hate this. I guess we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, but yes, I've been. We, I think this has been a very successful thing we've been doing lately, where we're not sharing our thoughts about films one of us hasn't seen beforehand. So I've, I've been patiently waiting, and and I'm not sure if you're gonna break my heart or not because I loved this film when I saw it a couple months ago. I, I just happened to catch it. I mentioned it even on the podcast when I caught a place in the sun. Right before I left the Criterion Channel in March, uh, can we and I, can we talk about the first half of the film then? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if that's what you want to talk, about. I just I'm, I guess let, let me just open in by asking you if you thought it was good or not. Yeah, yeah. I do think it. I do think it's a good film, at least. Good. Yeah. I don't know if I'm gonna be on your high with it. Um, 
I also got worried at the court scene. <laughs> I man, they're really just such a drag. People can't can't people just chill on them? I I don't need to sit in court. If I want to do uh, that, I'd go to jury duty. This this was at least a, a good one, I think. Fans like I understand more so when you had something like I don't I don't know. I guess I I'm trying to understand with things like like I remember you complained about the court scene in Mr. Deeds or whatever <laughs> yeah, uh, when that comes right. up. Mr. Deeds goes to town. Yeah, and that one has a lengthy one at the end. It's. It's like an inevitable device that ends up getting used, but but in this case, it makes sense in particular because the the film is based off a book, which is based off of a real life event, like a real life uh, murder story that ended up with a, a court like this. Yeah, uh, in a, in I just want to so, say that today the the body of the Glee actor was found in a lake, and we don't mean any offense, well, and it's not intended. Well, was it her specifically? The article you sent me, I think, yet. said. Yeah, I said it was a a body, but in yeah. the lake where she supposedly drowned, which is uh, unfortunately coincidental for <laughs> the film we picked, which is uh, like like reflective of that. Now, now I'm all have to go sit in a real court and explain ourselves. Uh, <laughs> just because we didn't but, intend it doesn't mean it's not our fault. But yeah, let me hear your uh, your your preliminary thoughts on the film okay. overall. Um. Uh. A lot of dissolves. I wish I could just make a montage of dissolves <laughs> with my with my uh, with my image here. But uh, I he has so much control over his actors and his dissolves and the audience. I think that uh, I think it I think it often tells you how to feel. But I think it's gorgeous. I, every shot looks great to me. Um, the black and white is perfect in a noir sense. I think uh, the shadows and the casting is amazing. I mean. How can you get better than Montgomery Cliff and Elizabeth Taylor? Like a like a mirror of like hot people, and it's like incestuous watching them make out, and it, it's it, weird. It, it is especially especially Elizabeth Taylor here. She is like the the stunning enigmatic definition of just pure elegance and beauty. And in that first scene where she's introduced, and you know they're always uh, shooting her with a very soft focus, and it's yeah. and she's absolutely astounding, and it, it makes you feel bad because. Like Shelley Winters is also very pretty, but it's <laughs> it's very unfair to put up against her, and I yeah. feel very bad for her in this. And, and they kind of like this led to frumpier roles for Shelley Winters afterwards she, for a while. She kind of got to play a lot of roles like this after, didn't she? Um, yeah, it made me, it made me think of I was reminded of like I realized watching it. And I'm like, oh man, between this and Night of the Hunter, Shelley Winters <laughs> sure just get fucked over by men and end up at the bottom of a lake a lot. <laughs> it sure reminds me of Night of the Hunter in a lot of interesting ways actually but... it, it, yeah it does i think i think that's a, a good uh, comparison piece you know around the same time period as well but so, it is a stunningly gorgeous and the, the pairings are great but, but you're right about the dissolves as well there's, <laughs> there's a, a lot, lot of dissolves yeah there's a lot of dissolves and uh for me it's kind of like fluttering and and kind of a pace until we get to like uh, elizabeth taylor and then the movie i think it becomes a great movie by then i think it's fantastic uh, for a while Mm-hmm. I I can see why you might think it's uh uneven. I'm I'm gonna be charitable here okay. instead of feeling like you're you're breaking my heart open. <laughs> but no, I wouldn't want to because I like so much about this movie and it's going to be a high score, which I haven't landed on. But um, there there are moments where I I wasn't sure if I was even connecting with Mont- Montgomery Cliff or I I'm glad I sat yeah. on the ending too because I had divisive thoughts for a while. Yeah, well, I guess that's a big thing here is that Montgomery Cliff is uh. A, a character who is at 
one's not sympathetic, but also, like, I, I think he draws a sympathy. Like, if you put another performer in that role, I think you just, you couldn't get behind the film because he would just be so loathsome. Uh, I, I think what's really interesting about the film is that I, I watch it from not only the intimate character perspective going on, but the larger thematic struggle which is taking place because it really is more of this embodiment and indictment of American capitalism in many ways and the allure of that. And and all of that is not spoken. It's not, you know, all of the big themes that the film deals with are all uh, implied and subtextual which is really where, like you said, I think that, you know, director George Stevens is so masterful at leading the audience to think the thoughts that he wants them to. And each, well, let's say, let's start with the American part, because Charlie Chaplin famously said it's like the great American picture. I think American does a lot of work there. Like, it's it's not American in a nice way. Um, It's describing the era of Red Scare and, uh, like, like, McCarthyism, would you say? Uh, I, I think it goes back further than that because the, it's based off of a novel from the 1920s, mm-hmm. which was titled An American Tragedy. It's really this this indictment of, uh, you know, it deals a lot with uh, class classism uh, specifically and dealing with this idea and uh, these kind of American dynasties, which are kind of uh, brought up. And uh, and that's kind of the interesting character thing with uh, Montgomery Cliff's character, George Eastman, because he's caught in in between the two worlds in the middle of the classes like he has access to the upper echelon through the the title and his familial connections and then but he's also still uh you know at his core born and bred a you know poor part of the proletariat and uh specifically in that he has a religious background as well with his uh you know catholic family kind of sacrificing everything and uh, you know, to to be just you know poor uh, panhandlers and you know handing out flyers on the streets and such, and I think that religious backing is kind of even more strengthening for the film's core themes because it is it is that root at the American issue there and that idea of uh, the sexual repression that comes with uh, highly religious upbringing also informs you know his his desires and his uh, you know follies as he you know is caught between these two women and um i love like a love triangle story um like my favorite book the good soldier is all about um you know like a 1920s book from ford maddox ford um it's my favorite american novel and my favorite probably american story like top five um i would say that uh that kind of film where you don't know who to trust and you get multiple perspectives to something and you realize that there isn't like a a fundamental truth that kind of story really moves me um uh, i think what moves me most here is the aesthetic choices like you say uh, elizabeth taylor is always soft and um shelly winters is always mid and then um montgomery cliff is always a hard shot so i love that they're shot aesthetically different from each other it's also just like a huge thing is that the visual language of the film is so strong and so forthright it's more important than any of the, the dialogue in the film yeah. i think the camera tells you everything i feel like i could i could watch the movie without any volume at all and entirely get the story uh you know early on i I love i love the framing of the film particularly throughout uh when when george first arrives and is talking with his uncle you know the the grand eastman who runs the company everything he he arrives at that party it's very clear how awkward and out of place he is because he's shot from so far away constantly he's made tiny in the frame in in the 
company of these giant, you know, uh, you know, these tycoons. Mm. And you see how relating with women kind of improves men in that model and, and how they can enlarge in by who they are with and, and what they do for them. And the film's a lot about that. And it's a lot about the obtaining means and, um, very American ideas. Uh, it, it feels dirty sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned earlier as well the the shadows, the noir like shadows of the film, which are done so well in in all of the scenes with uh, Shelley Winters and Montgomery Cliff together. Their entire courtship. I remember the first time I watched it when they first uh, get together, and it's just this long, like passionate moment with swelling music, and uh, the the places that it go, the themes, and it's it's very explicit in their relationship, mm-hmm. uh, which is rather shocking for 1951. Right. That that it can really uh, be that explicit in the you know uh, what happens in their relationship. I don't know why specifically because you know this is in a time period where the Hayes Code wouldn't even let a a married couple share the same bed. So why can they imply you know uh, you know premarital sex and you know allusions to abortion and even in a scene it does it the same way that i i just saw a baby doll do it which was like it goes to like the radio or something and and it implies something sexual whether it's like jazzy music or you know like a like the like just a scratching soundtrack or something that sounds like more riveting or promiscuous will happen and i i just like how it unfolds off screen sometimes that's even more sexier interesting than showing the thing yeah it can it can feel more poetic which again that's that kind of idea where censorship sometimes cause the filmmakers to be more creative and uh tantalizing than being literal would would ever be and you wouldn't necessarily get the same results but still i mean like there's no question of i think what happens in the plot here again even though a lot of the ideas and themes going on are unspoken yeah um i think it's I think it's pretty explicit what's happening. Um, it is. It, it is. It's, again, it's just not literally said. Like, even the idea of the, the crafting of the murder plot is never spoken in words. It's all, yeah. like, and, and it's very well, there... Hitchcockian, I think, <laughs> in the way that, that Stevens lets us, as an audience, piece together what George is thinking. It's it's almost perfect acting with the face um, when they're yeah. out on the... <laughs> Like, you could just read murderous intent in the lines of his face. He's that good here. That, well, uh, I, yeah, Clift is so great in that he's able to communicate, like, a, a wide variety of thoughts in very many different scenes. Because he's a conflicted person in all of these moments, even though he has this desire to rid himself of the problem and just be, so he can be with Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. And again, that's, that's, that's kind of the, the, the tragedy here, like, and where, where you can sort of sympathize with Cliff's character because it's like, he, he clearly has like an electric out of this world chemistry with Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. It's just so apparent. Like you thought like, like the relationship with Shelley Winters was nice and sweet and, and enjoyable, but he also was clearly not in it all the way. It was a very surface level relationship. It was very for, circumstance for driven. Yeah. yeah, and and so like and it would be fine if he could move on from the you know, the the small, meek, mousy little girl to, you know, gorgeous Elizabeth Taylor, but then he's held back by the 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 obligation and, and the pregnancy, which is entirely right. unavoidable. Yeah. The the scene where, where Shelley Winters goes and visits the doctor and has that conversation with him is so 
heartbreaking. It's yeah. hard. It's just so hard to endure because again, it's like she has no options. She lies to him uh, about being married, and and the doctor is kind of just like it's just one of those things. It'll sort itself out. It'll be fine. And it and, does. And, <laughs> yeah, she is a she has a total breakdown about it, and you know it's 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 depressingly sad. I, I, I'm just gushing about the film so much I'm yeah. not even giving you a chance to talk No, it's fine, I like hearing about it Because I want to hear your perspective primarily Since you brought it here um, Yeah I I mean, I'm I'm pretty high on the film Like, other than you say, other than the ending I like most things about it I, I, knew, I knew you wouldn't like the ending when I, I watched I it I hate the okay. ending, yeah <laughs> it, It's the only thing that brings it down So I'm really sad about it Because I, I was so high on it I was like, is this a 9, a 10, or a 4 oh, Alright You know I want to I want to talk about the ending, but I want to get there. Yeah, we'll uh, get I think there. it's good to go the the way we're going here. Uh, I skipped over. I forgot just I guess to go back to talk about framing in a scene because there's a scene early on when when Montgomery Clift and Elizabeth Taylor first meet and interact. I, I think it's a perfectly edited sequence. I don't know if you recall it. It's in the the pool room mm. where he's where he's shooting. Yeah, and the. And the sequence of shots is, is so masterful for me. I gotta sit down sometime and, and actually write a piece out about this because I just I love that scene because yeah. it shows how brilliantly composed and considered it is. Um, I, George Stevens actually had a lot of time to edit the film because it was shot in 1949, but Paramount didn't want to release it that same year because they already had Sunset Boulevard out, which was a huge smash. Yeah. So they, they, they decided to save it for a year so they could make, you know, and, and that, that way they wouldn't have to compete. And I believe it was and, like the third most successful film of the next year, too. So, I mean, yeah, it did well. and, and George Stevens was totally fine with it because he could just, he could edit it. And you can feel how meticulously edited the film is because those shots have so much meaning in, in their constant, uh, you know, swapping back and forth and perspectives and how precise the editing is uh every dissolve looks good i mean they, yeah they it's, all work. it's brilliant and and they're a lot of the dissolves they have an implication by you know layering images on top of each other and giving further meaning to the shot juxtaposition but but then that I mean just just in like a simple i guess just like to break down that one sequence like where she first enters the room it starts with like this it's it's this very long take it's a long like minute or two long take of them just having that conversation and like having and getting closer together slowly and then midway through their conversation it's it switches to over the shoulder shots or or, yeah. or like a two shots and uh George is framed fairly midway you can see basically from his shoulders up but Elizabeth Taylor is is again it's this intense close up with the soft focus and it's really like you get the idea of his perspective and how immediately he's just falling in love for her. and then it, and it goes back to that long shot for just a moment, and then bam, it, it starts to cut. A very quick cut to a wider shot of someone entering the room, and then in a, a very quick cut back to them kind of being interrupted, and quick, very quick back to them, just like two, you know, two quick, quick cuts. And it does such a fantastic job of breaking the tension that was so uh, ingeniously uh, sustained for that very long amount of time by using those very quick inserts in to uh to change up the the pace that was going on there i mean i think it's really masterful and how it holds tension and how it breaks it at least like the first half of the movie everything is so clearly designed like you say edited and uh, everything's perfectly framed uh i think it does so much for me i don't i don't notice costume design unless it's horrible or amazing but um 
just Elizabeth Taylor's dress is uh, one of the coolest. She's so beautiful and just suits her so perfectly. And I never notice these things unless they're amazing. So yeah, she's so stunningly beautiful here. You know, I thought about there's another shot, and you'll probably appreciate this as well, where they are dancing. They're dancing at the party at one point. Yeah, and it's gone on for a long time, and the party's over, and they're still dancing, and there's these balloons everywhere. And it reminded me of that phantom thread shot from Fa- exactly. <laughs> yep, that's you. You already knew where I was going. No, I thought about it the whole time when I saw the dress. Like this is an infusion of what's going on here, and that a lot of his, you know, a lot of his framing makes a lot of sense coming from this. Mm-hmm. And the framing and the you know the um, the language of the film just only gets better as it goes along, particularly when it gets to the murder plot. And again, yeah. like and you see it how it works with Montgomery Cliff's facial acting is so brilliant when he when when he first hears the uh, he comes home after that night of kind of being dejected, and on the radio he hears about the you know these drowning victims you know right and it and it just keeps cutting back to his face in these kind of like shocked or wide-eyed expressions and you can see him thinking because like we've just come from being at like the bottom of it and from the doctor's visit and not being able to do anything about this pregnancy it just has this this horrific like you can see the the thoughts starting to form in his head and you don't know how he's necessarily going to figure it out yet but then when he when he lies and he goes on the vacation with elizabeth taylor and she talks about how people you know how there's a secret lake over here or whatever (laughs) and how you know, you can rent these boats and how the, you know, people there drowned a couple summers ago. And, and it just keeps, like, building on the plan and you see it all start to come together. I think it's... And, it, and, I, and you're just feeling, like, horrified as you're realizing what's what's about to happen and what George is thinking about doing. And, and, and it feels so unavoidable. Like, like you're... Like you're just driving along and you can't turn off this this you know road that's gonna cut off eventually. You can see the end, but there's nothing you can do. Yeah, and just you're just strapped in as you know this horrific thing is coming. There's a total inevitability about it, and like you're saying about like the Hitchcock comparison, like we said about him about controlling the audience. I feel like this is always directing our interest and attention, and it does it so successfully that you you know I think it is noticeable. I wouldn't say that it's unnoticeable that it's directing us, but it does it so intensely that you can't help but be wrapped up in it. Yeah, it's again. I would not say it's intense, or even I would not claim that the film is subtle necessarily. No, it's never. just it's all it's subtextual, and again, like those those Titanic themes of class and you know these these American you know ideals and yeah. you know desire for everything. Uh, it's all very there and very in your face, but it's never you know literal well we think about like that chaplain quote and then he was exiled from america the next year you know like a, yeah. this is a time where like intentions do cause you to land in major trouble even if you have ideas that are communist so it's an interesting time to have a plot about uh, murderous ideas or you know like a, a plot that's growing in your head because there's there's one growing in like the head of the country where like the there's like a national crisis or a or a dilemma of faith in like the american system and capitalism anyway Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, there's there's the actual sequence of getting to the the murder itself. It's it's oh. ingenious. I I have to say that I was in love with this movie, and I was I'm gonna give it the perfect score. And then then of course other stuff happens, but it's amazing. It it it's so incredible. Again, like once you get there, and and you can see him like like just starting it once they go to the courthouse, yeah. and you see that it's Labor Day <laughs> and closed, and, and and it's just this awful feeling because it feels like he's gotten off. 
Right. And now and now he's going to start like and he, and he starts to lay out the first parts of his plot and he and he's going to bring her to the lake. But and, and then once we actually get out there, you got the creepy kind of like lake manager guy. He's not like not like horror movie creepy, but like, you know, definitely off and and, and you're seeing all of these witnesses, you know, that are going to come up again later. There's that guy and of course there's where they, where they have the the argument in like the the phone booth area or whatever where he picks her up after she comes out to the lake area and when she sees him in in the uh the newspaper and she gets there and uh you gotta feel so bad for shelly winters throughout this whole film she didn't deserve any of this she's in such a bad place but there's like such an interesting reading that she has to do of him and like she's figuring out what he's wishing for when they see the star and and oh man it it gave me shivers just how how badly she's in a bad place the, the whole execution there on the boat itself once you're actually out there because I feel like so much happens in George's head yeah. without going on necessarily because again it seems like he very much like the entire time you're watching and she's having these conversations and she knows that he doesn't love him and that's what she says she wishes mm-hmm. that you know he loved her uh, the only like, thing like, she wishes is that, that he could return yeah. what she feels yeah because she just wants to make that work, you know, and and he just obviously is not, you know, he doesn't care. He doesn't want to be there oh. for it. He wants he wants the opulent, the beauty of, you know, Elizabeth Taylor instead. Yeah, he met Elizabeth Taylor. Anyone should understand. I mean, yeah. she should have been like, yeah, I, I, I understand. I, I would too, right? <laughs> Even Shelley Winters has to understand. <laughs> it's and and again, that that scene is just so wonderful because it's so tense because you know what he's what he's thinking about yeah. doing but at the same time like it's it's just being stretched out and you can see the conflict that he's wrought with in it because it's like he wants to but he doesn't think he can and he's struggling with the moral idea with it and i and i think in there you he does give up and he does relent and realize that he doesn't want that and that he can't do it and that he's not going to but then he still doesn't want her you know he's not yeah. resigned to be with her still and he's still agitated by her and then it just erupts into that like horrific yeah. you know moment she, where the boat shakes she walks up on the boat and then it, they get less sturdy and then they they both fall in they lose their balance and uh, he still has murderous intent i think this is what i had to wrestle with after the movie because i had to even talked to my wife about it i'm like i had to analyze whether this is actually murderous intent because if you know someone's going to die and you want them to die and you don't try to help them it still seems like murder yeah, yeah, and that's kind of the big debate of the court scene as well. It's like, did he have murder on his mind? And, and that's kind of the conclusion. They're like, you had murder in your heart, is is what they say. The one thing I like about the court scene is that they return to the boat. They have the boat in there, and he has to sit on it in the position. And he has to reflect on his crime, which which almost saves it for me, except it goes way too long, and I, I really well, and lost it gets, interest. And it gets very melodramatic. I'll give you, I'll give you this. Even though I, I enjoy it because, like, I, I think the courtroom scene would be, like, way too melodramatic, even if it weren't for the fact that I just love Raymond Burr. Yeah, sure. And he and he's bringing a lot of that energy that he'll bring to Rear Window a couple years later. Mm. And he's and he's uh, fantastic as the, the, the district attorney, but he is. It is a very over-the-top sequence. <laughs> it, it really is, and it a little bit too melodramatic. And I didn't like the prison stuff after either, but... I, I realize he has to reckon with what happened, although I don't know if a movie ended before that, I, I think I could have been fine and, and didn't and unambiguously didn't tell me where it went after with the court. I, I'd almost prefer that. Like he so, had to live so, with it. 
That would be cool. Mm-hmm. So let me know, where exactly does the film kind of go off the rails for you? Right after he's in the boat in the court. <laughs> I That's the last part I really like, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, because it is very good still yeah. up until there. Like, because you have all of the investigating stuff, like putting the pieces together, and then, like, Liz Taylor's family finding out about it all. There's that wonderful moment where, like, like the shot follows her into a room, and it's, and it's looking at the wall mirror, and she just, like... That's like good. faints yeah. in this in this beautiful moment. It's just this intense like crash into the floor. That's really good. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I, it's still full of good moments. I I didn't need to see him go to the chair. I didn't need to see him in prison, or I didn't need the conclusion of the court either. I could have ended right there on the boat, and they're deciding what happens, and that would be fine with me. Well, what exactly is it about the uh, the conclusive nature of it? Because, again, it is like this idea of kind of reconciling and dealing with it. And, and you do, I mean, especially in this time in, in Hollywood, you yeah. do need the criminal to be punished. That has to be an un- unambiguous thing. I guess so. I mean, that's, that's just the rule. That was literally the rule they had to. But this is also based, like I said, on a real court case in, in the, the 1900s where, you know, uh, a guy did go to the electric chair for killing his girlfriend who told him, you know, he was pregnant. Or she was pregnant. Yeah, if I could just cut that part and have the audience grapple with whether he is a criminal or not, instead of like spelling it out and showing him going to execution and all that, um, I I don't know if it's entirely fair, but I think it's mostly on the level that I, it's hard because like, is he a criminal or is it, are we punishing intent? Right? Like, a, it, I think that's a more interesting question. Well, that's that's the kind of question they grapple with there. Yeah. I think the conclusion they do come to that it is still and and like you said, and you came to as well that it is still murder. He did act, you know, with with uh, hate and, and intent in his heart, even though he had decided that he physically couldn't. Like the inaction is just as bad as the action of going through it himself. You know, again, the you know. There is a bit of like ham ham fistedness in in the courtroom scene, in a uh, that kind of reminds me of another one that I had you watch, which is Anatomy of a Murder, where Raymond Burr is just throwing out wild accusations and ridiculous <laughs> yes. things, and and Fred Clark, the defending attorney, has to be like objection, and he's like, eh, I withdraw. It's uh, you know, far- but but the damage is already done, the implication is already there, the you know. It, it's still kind of peeling back just slightly the the fallacy of the American court system, but a lot of fallacy, it, but far less panties in this one. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, I think I I'm almost okay with the court stuff. I still really like this movie. I I do like that the boats in there. I think that's hilarious and uh, poetic. And, and, and that is a that again. It is kind of this big melodramatic sequence because in what. I can't imagine an actual court scene, yeah, court right. sequence where you would have them bring in the canoe or the the boat as evidence and like have the the witness or, or have the uh, defendant reenact their their <laughs> actions in the middle of the courtroom. It's yeah. it's very you know a very theatrical thing. I, I think I like it when it's theatrical, but when it's just people talking in court, other than Burr, who I do like here, I think it's I, I just I just lose interest. I I don't want to watch court stuff. And, I know you do. I know you do. And I and I realized that when I was watching. I'm like, ah, it's it's Calvin's disposition is going to come through and he's going to poo-poo on my, my beloved movie here. And I really don't feel like I, I have otherwise. Cause I feel like the film's so contemporary. I feel like all of its shooting, could its ideas are being done today. I, it's so far ahead of the 50s and early 50s. I, I really love it. Yeah, you know, it's a again, it's super gorgeous, extremely well edited. Again, like because it's the 
the filmmaking is so much at the forefront of it, but also it's balanced with performance as well. Because again, like on, I think only Montgomery Cliff could do a, a performance that requires as many complex emotions as this. And for us to remain invested in a character who is so callous and self, you know, uh, centered. And then again, of course, like God, I can't. Like, how can you get anyone to compete with Elizabeth Taylor on that yeah, level can. of beauty? <laughs> I just think if you. It would be hard to create a more beautiful image than Elizabeth Taylor and Montgomery Cliff kissing. It's almost unfair to other mm-hmm. movies that they should have to compete. And th- this was really the birth... Like, they had a real-life friendship that kind of blossomed from working on this film oh, together. Cool. And they did a couple others. I mean, I mean, she was there when Montgomery Cliff got into his horrific face-destroying car crash. Okay. And, uh, you know, like, they were, they were the close to friends for a long time even though you know he he had a very tumultuous life he, after all that and it, it kind of this kind of uh, but this was the first block there and this was also the first like real like adult role for elizabeth taylor she was 17 when they shot this film and before then she'd been playing a lot of you know high society little girls yeah. stuff like national velvet and father of the bride i mean then she's still like widely known for like cleopatra and stuff and like these historical characters but to do something so modern and to feel over time and also universally interesting i think it's still relevant yeah. and matters yeah and i would say it also has a very timeless aspect to it you know the the 50s setting doesn't inhibit it from you know applying to i think all kinds of uh generations i don't think it line. i don't think it inhibits it at all i think it feels good though and i think it feels like a remark on its time that uh, is poignant and uh, does matter um i'd just cut the whole court thing otherwise perfect movie i'd give it a 10 <laughs> without that you sure you can't just give it a 10 anyway no me? <laughs> It's a ten uh, in my heart, but that's just half the movie. So mm-hmm. again, I can see where it, where it tapers off. It's uh, w- once the murder happens, there's uh, like I, I guess less uh, of a thriller aspect going on there, but you know, and it turns into a, a court drama issue more so. But still, the ideas of, of reconciling with the emotions of the characters and the uh, the duality of his you know desires and the, the thematic aspects and again it becomes this huge like tumultuous event and there's a whole media aspect to it going on and and i still sympathize with montgomery cliff's character in many ways because even though he's you know callous and you know thoughtless and you know self-serving he's still being put through this horrific you know uh you know kind of trial which is just painting him as this huge like inhuman monster he's being attacked by you know like mobs in his jail cell yeah and he still has to be like separated like again above all else because their chemistry is so good like even though there's he's just a a very horrible person that you can't root for that that chemistry and that relationship with elizabeth taylor is so real that you don't want him to be deprived of that necessarily you know doesn't he still deserve love maybe that's that's the the hard question of it all in there and i don't think it's necessarily there's not a a a a right answer in terms of that with the relationship but but again the performance so good when she says she has to say goodbye to him at the end and everything that's a very moving moment i think you're right like most of the movie says everything without any words like the the early part almost could just be silent and have music and have dissolves and it would all work the same um then i don't need people like coming into his cell and telling him Oh, you had murderous intent back there. I think we understand after the whole court ordeal. Uh, you know, uh, 
it it doesn't need to say anything because it is already implicit on his face and on everything that's happening and sometimes it does Mm -hmm. yeah i i get that idea more that if it says too much there because the film is so good at telling you everything without saying it literally it's already done that 20 times for me you know i didn't need him to come in and explain to montgomery what's going on i think he knew Mm mm-hmm well, I guess like the same issue with something like Psycho, where yeah. the ending is kind of soiled by over-explaining. Of course, it's the same exact structure to the ending there, I think. But again, it's, it's one of those things where they don't... In both cases, like I, I could just completely overlook that because yeah. everything is so masterful up until then. And uh, even less than Psycho, I feel like this isn't even as explicit as that is in it's not. indulging explaining. And it, and it doesn't go on for too long when, when it does, you know. But I'm, I'm so glad that you, you got to watch the movie because, of course, when I saw it back in March, I was just like, I have to tell everyone about this because I, I, I watched it, like, reluctantly. Like, I sat down to watch it because it was leaving the channel, and I'm like, oh, I've heard good things about it. I like Montgomery Clift. You know, I'll check this out. And I was, I was so floored by how incredible and tense and, you know, emotionally wrought it is. Yeah, I I think that's a pretty good wrap up of the of the film. I really like it. Um, not my favorite, but I I respect that it's one of yours, and I see why. Yeah, I and mean, I'm glad you indulged me to to talk about it here and and, and check it out. Uh, I hope I really hope the ending doesn't sour too much on you, and you could at least <laughs> feel good about revisiting it of again course. sometime in the future. I definitely will. Um, it, it just it just solidifies in my mind that I got to avoid any films with courtroom scenes, <laughs> or just keep giving them to me and see what happens because I like the yeah, last one. And, I'll just, and I like I'm just going to waterboard you with courtroom <laughs> movies. It's like a constant prosecution against me. Yeah. <laughs> well, until then, it seems like we spend the best part of our time just saying goodbye.